is that we come here to worship, who it is that we, we pray to and we sing to. It's not the God who's far off and far away, but the one who is close and intimate with us. The one who protects us, goes to our front and our rear and shields us. The one who came down the mountain, instead of us trying to strive and work ourselves up and work to get up this mountain, you came down and you sacrificed for us so that we could live with you in eternity. Father, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You guys are welcome to find your seats. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be reading uh, a lot of Scripture. So I hope you're well-versed and, and ready to flip through that Bible. Like I said earlier, this weekend was Impact Weekend. And uh, if, just so, once again, if you don't know what that is, it's a weekend retreat for, for 7th through 12th grade students. We come together at First Baptist Church. There was five churches represented there this weekend. Fan and Terrace, or yeah, five. Fan and Terrace, the Orchard. Oh, just four. Sorry, math's not my strong suit. Fan and Terrace Baptist Church, the Orchard, Living Way, and First Baptist was all there. We had about a hundred students in total joining together and worshiping Friday and Saturday night and Saturday morning. And uh, I was talking to Katie Smalls, who is the right now the interim youth pastor at, at First Baptist. And I said, hey, Katie, what was your first impact? She said, I, I came on in 2012. And for the first time in my ministry life, I felt old, which is, is a new thing for me, you know. I was like, man, I've been doing this. She's the pastor over this thing. I've been doing Impact Weekend longer than she has. My first year was 2011. I got her by one. But hey, whether you win by an inch or a mile, a win is a win, okay? You write that down. I got her. And so I was like, man, that's crazy. And uh, over the years, I've seen Impact do a lot of things. And for me, it's been an opportunity to meet some great people. One of the mentors that I still meet with probably, we try to meet at least once a month. His name is Greg West. I met him through Impact. And for years now, he's just been a man that I go and sit with an older man who's who's walked through some things, and we just sit and talk. And and uh, it's not like he's teaching me or I'm teaching him. It's literally just two brothers talking and and sharing in the goodness of God and what God has done. And I've met other people like uh, my best friends in the world: uh, Twig, Ryan Rodriguez, Abby Wiggum, Caitlin um, Bewley. I met Bethany through that same friend group. Um, I mean, literally, I got to go to Columbia. Because I met these people through this this organization, so Impact has a very special heart, a place in my heart, um, for what it has done in my life, but also what it does year after year in the lives of our students. And so, this year, our theme was Prodigal, okay, and uh, the tagline is Welcome Home. And so, before we jump into testimony, well, yeah, we'll just go into the testimonies and then I'll start that. But welcome home, Prodigal. If you're not familiar with Prodigal, I would assume everybody in this room is. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles already, we're going to be in Luke, chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Um, but it was a good weekend. I, I really enjoyed, personally, the fact that when the speaker got up, 
he wasn't trying to be a comedian. And if you've ever been to a youth event or a youth camp or something, um, a lot of these speakers are really good at keeping your attention by what's uh, a preaching method called storytelling. And so they tell these outlandish stories that are just of their youth days where they're crazy, toilet paper in the house, running down dark alleys and all the sorts of, you know, heathenry, as I call them, little youthens running around. And they're really funny. And this year, this guy, he wasn't, I mean, he told some funny stories. Like he, t- he did like 400 rolls of toilet paper over his superintendent's house when he was in high school and got caught by the cops. But I mean, like, I'm like, dude, come on, man. I got the youthens. They're trying to like toilet paper in my house now. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. Don't, don't put me in that position. Um, but when he got up, he was from Denton. Uh, he simply preached the word of God. And he was preaching it straight. There wasn't no sugarcoating. There wasn't no, uh, I'm going to give you rose-colored glasses. I'm going to tell you how good it's going to be. He was like, hey, listen, in this life you're going to have trials. Hey, listen, if the foundation of Christ is not where your foundation is, it's going to get washed away by the storms because the storms come. You're either going in, coming out, or in the middle of a storm, right? I mean, that's what he said this weekend. And so I, I appreciated that as been doing this for now almost 10 years again starting to feel old 10 years um of doing youth ministry in some form or fashion like i just appreciated the straight simple gospel and so this morning after some of our students if they choose to share that's what we'll be doing this morning we're just going to look at the scriptures and give it to you straight okay i don't want to fluff it up or do anything like that so students anybody brave enough to go first or share or if you have something you don't feel obligated to. You don't have to. Rochambeau if you want to go. Right? You don't don't really don't feel pressure if you don't want to. Is this pressure right now? I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm really not trying to pressure you guys. I mean, you don't have to say anything. But there's a lot of people in this room right now that are looking at us. Okay? They expect a lot from us right now. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Going once. Ah, girl, Spencer. Hello. Hello. Um, I've been... Let me figure out how to put this. So, like, he was talking about, like, used half my testimony, but um, he said what really hit me hard was either you're going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. And it's like, I've been in a really long storm, and we all know I've been dizzy. And usually when I wake up, it's usually really bad. And this morning I woke up and I wasn't dizzy for the first time in like a few months. And so I'm happy to say like I'm finally coming out of this really, really long storm. So, yeah. Anyone else? Good morning. Um, Quick story. When I was about 11, I was raped. Didn't tell anyone for 10 years. 10 years. I'm 16 now. For 10 years, I didn't tell anybody. Not my mom, not my dad, no one. 
And just about maybe a couple weeks ago, I finally told somebody. I told my sergeant in ROTC at Midland High. I told him about everything, and we went through the process, and I told the counselor. Counselor called the sheriff department. I talked to the sheriff department. And ever since then, I've been so broken. So broken. And it's been so hard on me. I don't talk about it. I don't talk about it at all. This is the first time I am talking to a whole group of people about it. But one impact this whole week and was so amazing because I actually got to feel God's love again because for so long I was lost. And Pastor John, on Wednesday, he said to close her eyes and see, what do you see? And in my mind, I saw a big mountain, beautiful mountain covered in flowers with the road going straight up and straight down. I was at the top of the mountain, and on the bottom, I saw home. And there, there was my father standing there with open arms, saying, come to me, I will fix you. You are not broken. And Miss Kim, whenever she took me home that night, she told me that, ask God where he was in that moment. So I did. I asked him this whole weekend, where was, where were you? This, where were you when I was being hurt? And he said, I was right there next to you, holding you. I was there. And right now, I don't feel broken. I feel so free. He is so, so good. Thank you, Jesus. Paul and I talked this weekend about some of this, and and I just encouraged her, and I want to remind you guys as well as you, Paul, is every night has a dawn. And these things do not define you, and we, we talked about this, but hope calls things as though they were right now. You remember when we talked about that? So you just hold on to hope. God is for you and not against you. He's working for your good. I love you. Thank you for being so great. Anybody else want to go? All right. All right. Amen. So as you can see, some of our students were dealing with a lot, going through a lot this weekend. And uh, and to be honest, the weekend, what, like I said, the guy wasn't a comedian. He wasn't. Uh, the band wasn't trying to stir anything up with big drums or light shows or anything like that. It wasn't the normal event that we've been a part of at Impact in the past. And and this is what I take away, my takeaway, and if you want to share something in a second, you're more than welcome to, but uh, my takeaway of the event is that this is, the word does not come back void, period. What what we see on the outside and what we judge going on, on the outside, because for me, I'm I'm a big, uh, I like the hype. 
I like the dancing, I like the jumping, I like the, the big night, you know, of fun, and, and man, it was so good just to let it all go and just be free in the place and worship. And what, what I see, what I don't see in the physical does not determine what's happening in the spiritual. And I think we, we lose sight of that, you know, and just like King David, when, when God called King David to be King David, Samuel overlooked him. Because And his father and his family overlooked him because of his physical. And God says, I don't look at the outward, I look at the heart. And so I'm so thankful that God is on the throne and is working for our good. And so, um, do you want to share anything, babe? Yeah, so this weekend was a good one. But um, we go into the first night, and you know how you, you go somewhere and you have an expectation of what it'll be, and so I knew our theme was prodigal, and so I thought, you know, we're going to read Luke 15, we're going to learn about the prodigal son, and we get there, and the whole first message is just about God and who he is and all of that, and I leave almost like, we didn't even get to the, pro- are we going to go to the prodigal son, whatnot, but anyway, we get to talking that night with the youth, and I just ask them, like, I think I already had an answer for this, but I wanted to pick their brains and say, why do you think he started off talking about God, and we're, we're not even talking about the prodigal son yet, and um, they had good answers, but it was just neat to come to the conclusion that in order for the prodigal son to return back to his father, he had to realize who God was, you know, who he realized, man, I'm eating with pigs, and at my father's house, my servants are treated better, so he had that moment where he realized, hang on, this is my father, you know, and so the whole weekend, that's kind of what I learned, is just praising about God, singing about who God is, and it's just reassuring that if you're, you know, personally at a place where you're not sure that you want to go home, or you're a runaway, or your your heart is hard towards God, it's just good to sing about who God is and realize who He is, because that's the first step to going home. So, it was just good. So, the story is... Welcome home, right? So I want to I want to share a little story with you as we jump into this passage. About a, a little over a year ago, well, no, a little less than a year ago, Bethany and I were living in an apartment, and Bethany goes and checks the mail, and my friend from high school is working on the gate. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in an apartment, but those gates never work right. They're always broken. Something's always wrong with them. And so he, he works for an overhead door company, and he was working on the electric gate. And Bethany gets some mail, sees him. Hey, Rudy, how's it going? Like, you know, I don't know the conversation, but I'm sure they were all like, oh, my gosh, you're so great. Um, yeah, so anyways, Rudy's like, hey, by the way, uh, our house is for sale. Would you guys be interested? And we were already like, okay, God, what are you doing? Because we feel like a transition is happening. About a year ago, what, what's going on? What do you want to do? Are we going someplace? Are we doing something? And this house pops up. And so we contact a realtor. We look at a couple other spots. Um, we walk in this house. And for me, instantly, we both, this feels like home. Like there was... You know, like when you buy a new house and you got to like use the bathroom for the first time in the house, it's not comfortable. You know, is anybody there? Come on. I'm just being real with you right now. Like there's none of that, man. You just felt like home. You're just at home. You're at, you're at your most 
comfortable and vulnerable. Josie's looking at me like, man, I'm going to tell John Wymore what you just said. <laughs> I told you the cap's off this thing, y'all. <laughs> no, but we, we, it was a funny, it was a fun thing for us because I struggled with, Lord, I don't know if this is what you want. I don't want to try to keep up with the Joneses and I don't want to be about materials and I don't want to buy this nice house because they remodel it. It's, it's a nice uh, upgrade. Um, and so I was just like, God, I want it to be your thing. And, and I had a sozo right b- the week before we closed on the house. And I was still kind of torn up about it. And the Lord just, in the sozo, just throws the deed into my lap. And says, I'm giving you this house. And man, I, I, it broke me right there. I just cried and connected with the Father, knowing that like I was in his will, doing it. Like this was God's plan for my life to buy this house at this moment. Maybe not forever plan, but right now plan. And that's all I needed. I didn't need the road for the next 20 years. I just needed my next step of obedience. You know what I mean? And so when he did that, man, I, we were in unity about it. We, we were like, let's buy this house. Cool story is, is that the night we started dating, I'm sure I've shared this before, but we were, we were hanging out in that house before the remodel. And then we ended up buying that house. And so it's just been our house. It's our home, you know? And when you walk in to your house, I'm sure you got a spot, but we have a spot right there in the front. You walk in the door and it's, it's our junk spot, right? You got a junk space. You just unload all the stuff out of your pockets and just throw it on this desk. All your keys, all your phones, your wallet. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. All your keys, your phones and wallet and you just throw it. And then the next thing to come off for me, it's shoes. I'm like, get these suckers off of me right now. Because I'm getting comfortable because I'm home. I'm able to relax the day and, and the weight of all that was there. Man, that stays outside. I walk through the doors. I'm home. And my wife, she can work at home. Cause we got a little office. I don't know. I'm a procrastinator. If I'm at home trying to work, it ain't happening because I'm in relaxation mode. You know, there ain't no honey-do list or uh, my work calling me. I'm like, don't call me right now. I got to go out to the truck. Get in the truck and take a phone call if I want to work. That's the only way I can be productive. I'm serious. Ask your, all right, I got to go outside real fast. I just never do it because I'm at home resting, right? And so this weekend, this weekend is about coming home. This, this passage that we're about to look at in Luke 15 is about coming home and what that really looks like in the kingdom of God. We're going to read all 21, 22 scriptures this morning. So bear with me as we go through the story. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the runaway. We, we, we went over this in our, in our personal devotionals at night with the youth group. But we're going to look at the runaway. We're going to look at the hard heart. And then we're going to look at the father. And how the father is speaking to us in this story. And I think Jesus, it's, it's key to understand that Jesus is setting the stage here. He's already told the parable of the lost sheep where the father, the shepherd, would leave the 99 found sheep to go after the one lost sheep. And I made this uh, equation or this comparison to the students was, Hey, if you got a 99 in math class, 
That's A plus right there. Like, leave it alone. Don't mess it up. They're going to find out something. She's going to give you a C then, you know. Just don't touch it. It's good. If you got it, for me in school, is if you got a 70 in class, like, leave it alone. Don't touch it. They're going to find out. <laughs> right? But God, there is no settling in God. There is no, this is good enough in God. 99. It's not 100. And that's just, I'm not saying 90 or 100 people. Literally. I'm talking about the people of God, his chosen creation, the image bearers. He's after every single one. There is no settling. There is no, we've got enough for the kingdom of God. There's enough pews filled and enough people in the churches. That's not the mission that God came to start. Every person is being pursued by the love of God. And so he tells, he tells the next story. Jesus, before we get to the, the prodigal son, he tells the next story of the lost coin, where a woman has a very valuable coin, not a lot of money, but something valuable, and she loses it in her house. And she turns her whole house over trying to find this coin. Again, a picture of what the Father is doing in our hearts. He's saying, I will flip everything on its head to find the gold in you and to pursue you. It doesn't matter. I will work in there through the junk, digging through the drawers, getting the dust bites out, everything to find the gold because there's value in you. And then he comes to this story of the prodigal son. Now, prodigal doesn't mean what I thought it meant going into the weekend. What do you think prodigal means? You can talk to me. Say that. Wayward, right? Lost, someone who runs, right? You look up the definition, it literally means extravagantly wasteful. Extravagantly wasteful. And in this story, it's talking about monetary money. Extravagantly wasteful. The wasteful son is the story here. Okay, so let's, let's jump into the scriptures. Go to Luke 15, verse 11. We're going to read the whole thing. So just buckle up, okay? Starting in verse 11, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Keep that in mind, distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. This weekend we called this Pursuing the good life. Pursuing the life that when you think like, man, once I get to this point, I've made it. And I wrote down three things in our little journal when I, when I think of the good life. It's literally, I got three options. Not just one picture, but three options. I got like, I follow a bunch of uh, movie stars on social media, like The Rock, Kevin Hart. So every time like Jumanji's come out, I've known in advance because he's always posting about it. Right? But... There's that like big, my name is great life. 
I'm famous. I got a lot of money. I'm an athlete or I'm a movie star or I'm a writer. Like there's the, I want to make something of myself life, right? And then the next one I wrote down was family, the small, the simple life of, I just want me and my wife, my white picket fence, my family, you know, my kids, focused on raising my kids and living that life. Which I'm not saying one or the other is greater or bad. I'm, I'm just saying these are some things that people pursue with their life personally. These are three paths that I could choose. And then there's one life that's just like radical to the core. It's like I think of Todd White, if you know who he is, of just sold out daily committed like every day this guy prays for at least 10 people for healing and for salvation and goes onto the streets he's a he's a believer he doesn't like to be called an evangelist he's a believer who walks in his anointing you know so you get the picture like i'm talking three different paths of what we would call the good life right this guy he this younger son he wasted all his money in living in the wild living in the good life continuing on here in verse 14, it says, About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I want to stop right there for just a second and explain how I interpret this this passage. If I'm this guy in a pig pen eating slop, which who knows what that stuff is. For me, when I come to my senses, when I have that moment like I messed up. I messed up. It's time to go home. What I would do is rehearse what I'm going to say to my dad. Right? Because, I mean, you got to think, this is the authority figure that you've betrayed. You've ran off taking half of his money early. And you got to go ask for forgiveness and to be let back in, right? So he's, he, that's what he's doing. He's, he's rehearsing, walking. I'm like, picture a pig pen. There's pigs oinking around right here. And he's just like, look, God, or look, Father. Like, I messed up. I'm stupid. I know, I'm blah, blah, blah. I don't want to be your son because I'm not worthy. Key right there. I've already ruined that, but I'll be your servant because at least the servants have food enough to spare, right? That's, a, that's so important because in our lives, when we mess up and the shame hits us and we wake up to sin in our lives and we are hit with that shame of what we've done and know we've got to come to the Father, we don't step into the throne room boldly as a son like we belong there. We don't come home and kick off the shoes and make ourselves comfortable. It's like going and having a fancy dinner at a friend's house. You're on your best behavior when you come back to the Father after something like this. 
And in my life, there's many times where I felt unworthy of God's love and grace for me because of the sin in my life. And so I ask him, Lord, just allow me to serve you. And we'll get into the servanthood. Just allow me to serve you. And that's not what happens. Okay, that's, that's not what the Father does. Okay, continuing on. Verse 20, it says, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate for a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost and has now been found. So the party began. We'll get to the father because that is just rich right there. But I want to continue reading. In verse 25 it says, Meanwhile... The older son was in the fields working, doing what a good son would do, right? He was working. When he returned home and he heard music and dancing in the house, he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was furious, was angry, and wouldn't go in. Again, the father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, You celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, Son, look, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is now found. That's the story of the prodigal son out of Luke 15. The, the older brother was who we would consider to be the hard heart. Younger brother's the runaway. He's the one who goes and chases the good life. The older brother's the one, like many of us, maybe we had our season where we ran and we lived a wild life and we've come back to the, to the father, but we haven't accepted sonship, but instead servanthood. We become a slave to this thing called working for God. Because when the the other son returns and the father runs and meets him. Where's the other brother? He's working. And so we get trapped, just like the older brother. We get trapped. In order to earn my father's approval, I have to do the things that please him. I have to work for his love and for his acceptance and for that inheritance. I have to earn it. And... Even the runaway brother, when he was far off, 
And he came to his senses. His pendulum swing was, instead of being frivolous, I'm going to go back and work for my dad. Friends, family, listen. This weekend we talked about one of our students so wisely, uh, literally wisely was like, we had a, a story in there about a young girl who disobeyed her parents and ran off to a concert. But when she got there, she found out that her ticket she bought for the concert was a fake. And so she couldn't get in. And it was an hour away from her house. And she had already stormed out, told her mom that she was going to do what she wanted, slammed the door and went to this concert. But when it came time to get in, she couldn't get in. And her friends went without her. So she goes back to the parking lot and decides, I'm going to call my mom to come get me an hour away from the house when I've already disobeyed and take me home. We talked about what would it feel like to be that girl, Maria? What would it, what would it, could you imagine calling your mom after, first of all, my mom, to use a term she likes to use, would have snatched my head bald <laughs> if I tried to storm out of that house to go to a concert an hour away. I'd be looking like my brother Jake over here, just slick as slick right there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But one of our students, excuse me, one of our students so wisely said, how often we think that the punishment is coming from God in the same way. When we have to come home, how often we think it's time for the punishment. And I want you to, we're, You know, we got the runaway. We know what the hard-hearted brother who wants to earn it. The father is the is the key to the story to understand. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Is he's trying to teach us he is a good father. Period. When we look at the father, he's not coming with a stick, but with grace. But with grace. In Ephesians 2 it says you cannot earn your salvation. It is given freely as a gift with grace. This term grace is, is, needs to be something that unlocks chains off of your life. Both from shame and unworthiness and of bondage to the Tyranny of the task that you always feel like you have to do in order to earn the approval of God. This word grace, when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This word grace should be the first thing that comes to your mind of, Lord, you took it all on the cross. Our past, our present and future sin. Anything that would separate us was put on the cross, and then you declared, because you are, what do we read first? King, authority, final. There is no discrepancy, there's no democracy, there's no vote. When he says, it is law, and Jesus on the cross, taking everything upon himself, said, it is finished. And so it's done with, it's over. 
The victory is won for us. The shame has been put to death. That's what the father does here, right here. He says, when the son come home, he immediately, go get a robe, clothe my son. Go get a ring, put it on his finger. I don't know what the sandals mean, so I'm not going to pretend, but the ring I do know, sorry, the ring I do know back in the day would have been a symbol of his father's house. And he would carry with that ring the authority of his father's house too. And he could seal documents to say, I am his son, I can speak on his behalf. The father immediately just like Jesus, or just like God in the Garden of Eden when we sin for the first time, the Lord immediately makes a sacrifice and clothes Adam and Eve when they found out they were naked. He covers the shame. He gives you authority. And then he calls you this son, this daughter of mine. Because he's a good father. We look at the, the hard heart, how the father responds to the ones who feel like they have to earn it. He says, all these years, or sorry, he said, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Look at this. The younger son already took his inheritance. So in the natural, everything the father owns will be passed on to that one son from that day forward. Because the younger son already wasted the inheritance, right? It's been restored. He's got the party. He's got the fatted calf. The father is not holding back resources from the younger son. He has access to all that the father has. But the one who is slaving doesn't realize that it's already his. He doesn't realize that he, he already has the dominion and the angels of heaven. Like we don't realize Heaven backs us. Amen. We are his children. Yes. And we, we, don't, we don't compute this in our brains. Because either we feel unworthy or we feel like we haven't done enough. And, and I'm just going to speak the word grace over you once again because you need to let those chains fall off. Because you will never be able to do enough. And you will work yourself like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. You will work yourself to death. Because that's all the law ever brings is death. It will only ever show you your inadequacy to save yourself. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. I love the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read you something. In Rome, before I read Ephesians chapter 1, it says Romans 3 and Romans 5, that it was with undeserved kindness, unconditional love, undeserved kindness, that Jesus came to free us from the bondage of sin and death. In the grave. From the separation. From the, from the task. From the curse. Right? 
with undeserved grace, kindness. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. It goes on to talk about how the Holy Spirit is a seal of the inheritance that we get as his children. Not servants. Children. So when you walk into the throne room of grace, you should throw all the junk right there at the door and just say, hey, let me get rid of this. I'm going to drop this because I'm in my father's house and we're about to have some dinner. We're about to laugh. We're about to play games. We're about to celebrate because it's dad's time, man. And so you come in, you drop your stuff, you kick off your shoes, and you come ready to worship. That's what Sunday mornings, and that's what your prayer time should look like, is a, a resting place of total vulnerability and comfortable being with the father. Not this, he's got the stick. Or I'm not good enough. Man, that's just Satan and sin trying to mess with us. When we let grace unlock and strip off these things that so easily entangle us, we can run this race at full speed because we will not grow weary. Because the Lord is our strength. The joy of being with dad is our strength in this season. That's what Jesus is teaching us with the prodigal son story. He's saying, listen, whether you think you're not worthy or you think you didn't do enough, it ain't about you. You are not the keeper of the covenant. And if you're doing the God swears on Wednesday nights, you understand what I'm talking about. If you've done it in the past, you understand what I'm talking about. You do not keep the relationship Because you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. You hear? God's saying, listen, it is me, him, Jesus Christ, who said, listen, I will come down. And I will make covenant. And all things will be made new because of him. This whole thing, this whole relationship with Jesus is not about us. It's not about our happiness. It's not about our dreams, our goals. And that's, I mean, I'm stealing from the guy who spoke this weekend. My youth is over there like, you plagiarized so much. (laughs) Just a little bit. But listen, that's what this guy was teaching our students this weekend. Your, your happiness is so fragile, you could wake up in the best mood, get a bad phone call, and you're in the sour mood the rest of the day. That's how fragile happiness is. But when you have contentment, like Paul talks about, with a little or a lot, you can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. When you find that, that rest in the Lord and what he has done with undeserved kindness for you. For those who have been forgiven much, forgive much. 
And the one who's been set free from a mighty debt should jump with shouts of joy. It should be a crazy worship time when we step into what realizing what Jesus has won for us. Another scripture, and I'll, I'll, I'll be wrapping up here very shortly. And, and the guy's actually over there in First Baptist preaching on this uh, scripture. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, write this one down because you need, you need to memorize this. Everybody in the room needs to memorize this scripture. Paul's talking about his struggles, whether it be with inadequacy or shame or unworthiness. Whatever you are at work going through, the Lord's showing you, hey, listen, you need to get this out of the way. Paul's doing the same thing. He said, Father, take this thorn of the flesh away from me. I don't want to struggle with this no more. And Jesus says this. He says, my grace is all you need. My power, God's power, works best in weakness. My grace is all you need. So what does Paul go on to do? He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. In our booklets this weekend, it said, the the quote right out the gate was, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who know they're lost... And those who don't. And that's what Paul figures out right here. He's like, I know I'm lost. I know it's hopeless. So I boast in it because that's the power of God. That's the gospel is that he did it. That he's the king. That he's the savior. He's the Lord. Man, think about this when you serve. When you go to work and you you hear pastors tell you, hey, you need to share the gospel. You need to pray for people. Listen. If you just walk in thinking like God is the one who saves, God is the one who heals, God is the one who baptizes, God is the effective part of this equation, it takes the pressure off of you to perform. Because you don't have to earn it. You just walk in your sonship or daughterhood and live it out loud. You're just faithful. Not effective. You're just faithful. Right? Man, grace is, is simple. The gospel is simple. He says, I'll do it. Get out of the way. I'll do it. Let your flesh die. Let my spirit lead. And I will do more than you can ask or imagine. You will see more miracles like what Jesus sees. Jesus had flesh. And he showed us in these four books, these gospels, how to die to that flesh. And it started in the garden of Gethsemane when he sweated blood. I believe that that blood that came out of his pores when he was praying, Lord, take this cup of suffering away from me, was his flesh, his will, meeting head to head with the will of God. And how often... Does God tell us to do something and our will and our flesh conflict? Whether it be a dream that we have, a desire of our heart, and it headbutts. 
And Jesus even took care of that idolatry of self in that garden by saying, not my will, but yours be done. And he put to death his own flesh and walked it out for us as an example and even gave us a little script to pray when we're struggling with the fresh. Not my will, but yours be done. And so this morning, if you're struggling with not feeling worthy, if you're struggling with feeling like you've got to do more, I want to do something. God, if you could put on a little prayer music. And I'm going to ask uh, David and Felicia and, and Tommy and Kim if you guys will come to the front. If you guys need prayer, we can pray for you guys too, right? But I'm going to do it like a youth event. We're going to do an altar call. Maybe some of you in this room have never fully surrendered to Christ you've understood you you might have sat and listened to the prodigal son story a thousand times over you might have read it many times but there's something in your heart right now that's burning and tugging and saying this what he's saying is you he's talking about you I believe that's the voice of the Lord speaking to you saying it's time to, to move son, daughter it's time to walk with me and in Psalm 27 it says that the Lord says to us come seek my face and David's response is Lord I'm coming I'm on my way this morning I don't, I don't know if it's you need prayer for feelings of unworthiness or shame over sin or or you need to be set free from feeling like you've got to earn this thing. You need salvation. Whatever. I just ask that when you come up here, the Holy Spirit would lather you with grace. Because that's all you need is His grace and His power in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray over us this morning as your children, as your church, as your, as your bride, God, that you love so dearly. You're a good father. You know how to give good gifts. The best one of all is the, is the grace that you shower us with day in and day out. And Father, I that for the one in this room that is a sheep gone astray, Lord, that you would pursue them with the love of God. Father, I pray for the coin that is buried beneath all the junk, the ones that are in this room, Father, that you would turn over the things in their heart until the gold is brought forth and they know their worth and they know who they are in Jesus. God, we release freedom in the name of Jesus in this house in your house, in the Father's house. Father, I release in the name of Jesus the ability to relax and feel at home.
So Lord, come and do what only you can do in Jesus' name. If you need to respond, please don't hesitate. Get up. Come down. Let's pray together.